Hello. Thank you for joining us for this Exponential podcast. We've been hosting a little show on the hub for Exponential called Mega and Micro Hybrid and Minimalist Mega. We're talking about this idea of how minimalist we should be in our ecclesiology and how that affects the local church. And then how you could even have a mega church with a micro church hybrid and what that really looks like in the world today. So maybe you've caught all of our shows on this before. Maybe you want to go back and catch some. We've had some really sharp people on here. We've asked some great questions and some deep thinkers about the church. And I'm excited to continue this conversation today. And if you're joining this, for sure, you're here because you love the church and you love Jesus and you want to be a part of this conversation and you're rethinking some things. So we're really glad that you're here. Joining me today is my buddy, Dave Edwards, who's my sidekick, my colleague, um, and we do a lot Great of cool stuff you. together for the kingdom. And so Dave will occasionally jump in and say some stuff or ask some things. If not, it just feels good having him around. And then I have my good buddy, Jeff Clark. I got to know Jeff a year ago uh, about this topic we're talking about today. And I'm really excited to have this conversation. You know, we talk a lot with church planners and existing pastors, but for existing pastors in a model that's more traditional uh, to or more um, firm that's been around a long time, to be able to consider transitioning your church is a difficult proposition. And so I've seen Jeff do an incredible job with this personally, walked alongside of him as he's done it. And I've been really impressed. And that's why Jeff's here today. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us and being here. Hey, thanks, man. I'm excited. Cool. Well, Glad you tell everybody here. a little bit about yourself, like where you live, what you do, all that. I'm in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. I'm the lead pastor at Venture Church and I have a wife, one wife, and uh, three kids, five grandkids and three grand dogs. Oh, and so I'm living the dream. I'm living the dream right now. That is the dream. I love that. And Jeff's honestly one of the funniest people I know. He probably <laughs> won't be able to express that today, but I've laughed a ton. I've written down the jokes you shared with me and tried to share them with other people, and they just haven't worked as well. And so we got Jeff Clark and Dave Edwards, two phenomenally funny people. And funny people are usually very smart, and these guys are that. You know, Jeff, somehow you got my phone number a year ago. I'm still trying to figure out who linked well, it to you. And well, uh, if you ever wonder if people listen to your podcast, uh, I was scrolling and I get all kinds of stuff, and I came across this podcast on, on house churches. And I thought, man, that's stupid. I mean, you know, what, what are they thinking? And so, <laughs> I mean, that was my first thought. Yeah. Well, and I listened to it. So it's okay. <laughs> well, I've been struggling. Yeah. I've, I don't have shoes on. And, uh, but you know, I was struggling with Matt, what are we going to do? And it was like every word was exactly what I've been waiting on here. And, and I know I'm supposed to say it, but it was true. And so that was on like a, a Monday or, or Tuesday. And one of our guys called. I said, hey, call one of their guys. Let's just get their stuff. We'll figure it out. And uh, they said, no, you, gotta, you need to call our pastor, Jason. And so I called you on a Wednesday night. And I said, can you come in the morning? I don't yeah. you remember that. Yeah, well, I was, yeah, was going to set that up. But thank you for doing yeah. that for I me. I mean, it, it, so. I'm still shocked by it. Well, yeah, I was too. So this, I, I randomly have a conversation. I think it was God ordained. You know, we define providence as God moves people, place, and time to accomplish his purposes. Mm -hmm. And somehow I ended up having a phone conversation with you. And it was a long one, about an hour and a half. And we had a great conversation about the church. And uh, I came from a background similar to the background you've come, you've come from and some of what you still exist in. And so um, I loved the questions and I loved your rethinking. And you were so eager. You asked me if I could come tomorrow. And I said, well, who do you who do you think you are and who do you think I am? I was just sort of kidding. But this guy was eager. You know, Jeff, what was it that made you in that moment so ready, so eager, so hungry to say we have to do something? We're in the middle of a pandemic. Um, churches are rethinking and struggling and uh, ready to do something. What was it for you? Well, COVID crushed me. You know, I had said for years, because we'd gone through some changes, I'd led change. And I said, you know, the church is not the building. And if we didn't have a building, we could sell this building, it wouldn't matter. And then COVID hit, and I realized I wasn't telling the truth. And it was like, God sent us all to our rooms, and, and mm -hmm. we couldn't find each other. 
And I really had this moment of feeling lost. And I was like, God, what, what do we do? Because this could happen again. Yeah. And, you know, if you'll give me another chance, and if you'll show me, I won't be in the same predicament. And so that was the beginning of me really grappling, really for about six weeks, until I came across the talk about house churches. You know, I mean, Jeff, for you to say what you just said, let, let me say, I think is really encouraging for people to hear. Uh, it's, it's really refreshing to hear such humility and somebody who's so committed to the church that would say, Lord, I, I'm ready and willing to rethink this. And you give me another shot, we'll go after it. And, you know, for those people listening, let me tell you a little bit about Venture Church. I didn't know about it before Jeff's phone call, but it was formerly First Baptist Hattiesburg, Mississippi. So you're in the South, you're in a large uh, Southern Baptist church in the Southern Baptist coast of, of America. Sweet so First tea. Baptist, I'm sorry? The sweet tea culture. Yeah. And so you're in, you're in Mississippi, uh, solid traditional flagship church in the South. And so maybe wherever you're coming from and you're considering, oh, people can't transition here. What I want to let you know is that Jeff Clark, from what I know, has led two significant transitions, at least. Um, the first would be that First Baptist Hattiesburg transitioned into Venture Church. They changed their name. Uh, they changed a lot of their philosophy and their approach and practices. Same gospel added relevance, put it in a different structure. Um, and they were doing that incredibly well. Venture was growing, uh, many campuses across Mississippi. It was a very large church. So when Jeff's calling me, uh, he's not calling me from a state of um, leadership poverty. I mean, they were standing in a, a place of strength in many ways uh, that many of you may be listening to this and you're, you're coming from that background. But what Jeff knew is that we need to reposition ourselves for future possibilities like this, but also what COVID exposed. You know, Jeff, COVID exposed some things for a lot of pastors. You briefly mentioned it, but could you expound on it for just another minute or two? Uh, I mean, of course, you couldn't meet in the building. You were super centrality dependent, building dependent, clergy dependent. What did COVID really, maybe the level under that, what did COVID expose to you? Well, that we weren't really building disciples. Mm. And I hate to say it that clearly, but we couldn't find our people. And we had moved from Sunday school to groups at the church, made the rooms look like a living room, to groups in homes. And, and, and the idea was, and I was leading this, hey, let's make it as easy as possible for people to be in groups. Well, we made it real easy, all right, huh. uh, to the fact that once the difficulties hit, they weren't to be found. And, and it dawned on me, man, I had had the wrong approach. Yeah. And that we needed some strong lay leaders yeah. to take over the church. And, and that was a new concept for me because of the Southern, you know, Southwestern uh, Baptist and New Orleans, yeah. I, I wasn't taught that. So I'm having yeah. to unlearn everything on the fly. You know, um, we have a lot of these conversations with a lot of people, whether it be on these hub shows or in other places. And for most people, we're, we're coming from a place where we didn't experience what we're talking about today. It was heavy centralization heavy clergification, clergy-led, building central. I grew up in that. I went to some of the same seminaries you did and one or two others. And um, so it wasn't presented to me in seminary. But I will tell you, when you and I read the same Bible, our hearts burn when we read the stuff about the early church, right? And frankly, now I can't unsee what I've seen. I, I see this, this structure as the biblical expression of church, and so I think essentially the shift we're talking about, Jeff, and I want to dig into this for a minute, is distributed leadership. We're talking about a decentralization from a, a heavy, predominantly clergy-led church to lay pastoring at its base level. It's identifying, equipping, and elevating, and then empowering lay pastors and creating communities for them to pastor. And in a little bit, we're going to talk about how you made that transition, because I've seen you do it. Uh, but for now, 
what was that shift? Let's we got an hour on this call. Uh, that's why we're going to dig more deeply into these things. What was the shift for you from centralization of clergy and building to distribution of leadership and empowering lay leaders to pastor? Well, I, I began to see a group of men that were beginning to kind of rise up. And it dawned on me, we were asking these amazing leaders in the community, amazing Christians to hold a door open at church Mm -hmm. and to serve coffee. Right. And there was just more for them than what we were asking them to do, but we really didn't have anything with teeth in it to really point them to. So all these things were happening at the same time. And, and they were just a resource that God had given us that we were not being good stewards of. Mm-hmm. So I was already seeing God do something in these men where they were like, hey, man, we, we, we want to do a little more than that. You know, we, yeah. you know we, we lead businesses that make millions of dollars and, you know, you got us throwing Frisbees. Uh, so so it, was, it began wow. to come together with people that I saw in our church, men who had a hunger to do more. Yeah. You know, I think, Jeff, to, to, I'm thinking about the audience. We have some questions coming in. I think about these things. But, you know, let, let's dig into that for a second, because I know every church where I've worked before, and the idea was, well, let's give greater leaders something else to lead. But it seemed like we were always trying to add something supplemental to all the other things we were doing. So it's like it was really leadership development and leadership pipeline and leadership opportunities rather than, hey, I want to take people who are called and gifted and equipped to pastor. I want to help them actually pastor people. So there is a shift in my mind that had to take place many years ago uh, before we started Church Project in 2010, which was, I am not the clergy because I went to seminary and uh, I have some special anointing on my life. There are other people who are, you know, they're engineers or electricians or doctors or teachers and they're actually as called and equipped to pastor people as I am. Something had to shift in my mind. It had to shift in your mind too. What was that shift? Not just I got high capacity people throwing frisbees, but I can empower people to pastor. Well, and I began to watch them. You know, we launched with thirty nine house churches, right? And and so there was there was a sense of we were ready for something. We didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. Okay. But coming alongside those and mainly our staff, like our team, yeah. our team wants to do that. I mean, we have a, we have a culture where we want to pour into other people and come alongside them to do ministry. Now we've had people say, I thought that's what we paid you for. And I'm like, Hey, you can't afford that. Like I have to go home with you and do all, and I can't do that. Right. And so we've gone through some of those conflicts, but our whole team was eager to move in this direction. And I think once I saw that coming together and then saw the growth in these men and their wives mm-hmm. who, who really didn't want to have people in their home until they had people in their home. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and so it began, it began to come together and it's exciting to watch people who go from zero to a hundred miles an hour. It is. And I, 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 the thing that gets me excited about when I met with you and I met with, you know, your leadership team and I meet with other churches that are ready for this is that it is actually possible to transition your existing church into a distributed lay pastoral model. It's going to be better for your people. 100%. It's going to be better for your team. 100%. But I think I want people to hear today, and the reason that I invited you to be on this show is I want people to hear not only how to do it, but I want them to hear that it's possible. And what we're actually talking about is a structural change. Um, what, what Jeff and Venture Church had was a, one of the best cultures, uh, staff cultures I've ever been around. Really strong staff culture, really smart people, really committed to the cause and to each other, to their city, to their church really strong staff culture, and great lay leadership. I mean, they had been developing leaders really well. And the reason they were able to move so quickly, so healthily, is because they had these strong structures in place. But what they had to shift was 
their distributed pastoral leadership model. And it was in the way people were gathering. And so if you're listening to this and you're unclear and you're like, I don't know how to do this, where is the flexion point? Well, you got to be developing people, but developing them toward what? And the shift is going to be in your structure. Your ecclesiology has to somehow involve, right? Our ecclesiology has to somehow involve how do our people gather and who leads them and what do they do when they gather and what's the purpose of their gathering? And so, Jeff, let's talk about that for a minute. You really had to shift your ideas of, I mean, every church says this. Well, of course, we gather on Sundays and then we, we gather in small groups and then we do ministries, right? I mean, we essentially do those things, but we do them very differently than most churches. What had to shift in your mind of what now is a small group and what is a small group pastor to now what is a house church and what is a house church pastor? Well, you know, you took us through Acts 2. And as we began to look at house to house and the weekend experience where they gathered together, it, theologically, it began to click with me. And, you know, theology is important to me. Yeah, you know, it it's is. not just I'm looking for methodology. You know, I want to do. And, and what really startled me, if you don't give me just a second on this, was that the way we were doing discipleship was not biblical. Mm. I mean, to put people in a room with a master teacher or to sling them out there where they prayed or read a scripture and then they played softball, that's just not biblical. And so I had to come to that before I could really be into this to sell it to our team who could sell it to our people. And they were all like, well, yeah, you're exactly right. Like, why were you doing that? I'm like, I'm stupid. I mean, and so, so there was a theological underpinning that went was saying, hey, we want you. And we were heavy on this. Kyle Warren, uh, who was over this, we said, hey, we want you to be a pastor. Yeah. We want you to pastor these people. We want you to go to the hospital. We want you to baptize them. We want you to know their names and care about them. And, and our, our men did. Yeah. Mm. I mean, they, they actually did all of those things. Yeah. I think, um, you know, what you said, Jeff, they're so important because I think uh, for people who are watching this, who have to consider all the transitions that are necessary it has to be driven by some biblical conviction. And I had a lot of traditional conviction in my life. I had a lot of historical conviction. But when I compared it to how do I express this theologically, there was a disconnect. And really what we're discussing is taking a small group to a house church. And what is the difference in that? I, I talk about it on every hub show. I talk about it in my book, Church Project. We're elevating really a small group to a house church and a small group leader, to a pastor. And the problem that I am concerned about for the church at large is what, where is the gap being filled between what a small group does and what a house church is and what a small group leader does and what a, pa a, a house church pastor does? Because in that gap, we're either saying, take care of yourself, or we're saying, come to the centrality of the church with the clergy, and we're going to fill the gap between small group leader and pastor, and we're going to fill the gap between small group and house church. When we started Church Project, it was really wild for everybody who came to our church to consider, I'm going to be pastored by a fireman, you know, and this is my church. I mean, weddings, funerals, benevolence, almost all of that happens through a house church and a house church pastor, frontline of counseling, community, discipleship. It's all centered now in a house church. And so you made a significant shift there. Let me ask you this. Uh, when you had to make a significant shift, what was, what was the biggest or the top two or three biggest costs to you of making this transition early on? What was the biggest challenge, the biggest cost? Well, you know, I've asked our staff to make a lot of changes, uh, we, we celebrate change is one of our core values. And, um, and so that was one of the challenges because I've, I've really led them through a lot of difficult changes. They've been all over the map. One of our staff members says we do better in chaos because that's what I create. And so that was one of the things I, I really hated to do because I love them. You know, I care about them. Uh, but the other was saying, hey, we're going to go after men to we really had to, to tear down our group system and say, we're never doing that again. That was not that's not where we're going. 
And we also had to say, this is this has nothing to do with groups. This is a church. And then we'll gather mm-hmm. on the weekend as a reunion of all of our house churches. There We're a church go. of house churches. Yeah. And so, you know, it, going to people who had led groups, who, um, who weren't going to be in the process of becoming a house church pastor, that was hard. Because we have some great people that were willing to go from Sunday school to groups and it led their groups. And we had to say, no, we're doing this. And like, no, I'm not doing that. I said, well, you know, well, you know, I'm sorry, but this is, you know, this is what we're doing. And you, you said, you know, let them do what they're doing because at some point they don't get the oxygen from the body and, and it won't work and don't fight them. And, and that's what we did. We let them do what they were doing and it, it didn't, it didn't pan out. Yeah. And now some of them are coming back into house churches. Yeah. Because this is our second year of house churches. Well, let, let me press into that for a minute because at some point we need to talk about it. And now's a good time to talk about it. You brought it up. And I think it's important. You know, there are people who are listening who are saying, I need this is this might be one of my most common questions as far as execution. Um I have an existing small group structure or Sunday school structure. What do I do? Uh, a mega church that I've been working with recently has had the same issue. They have people embedded and entrenched in their small group structure for 20 years. As they have presented this to all their small group leaders, pastor has conviction on this. Um, we've got a transition. Same thing you said. We're not making disciples effectively. What we're doing is really not biblical. We need to make some shifts. And they met a lot of resistance with probably half of their many small group leaders. And so what they've had to do is to create this expression of church through house church and let the other people continue. And what they're starting to see is what you just said. People are starting to compare the vibrance, (laughs) the richness, the comprehensiveness of a house church versus a small group. And now a small group does really seem really limited in what it's accomplishing. It's not bad. It's just not best. It's not fullest. How have you seen that work itself out? You've made the decision. You decided to go after it. How's that continue to flesh itself out? Well, don't forget that COVID was an amazing opportunity to make all the changes you've ever wanted to make. You're right. (laughs) Do not waste a crisis. (laughs) When the world is blown up, all those things you couldn't do because of whatever. Now you can do all those things. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. so uh, COVID was a real gift to us because it really purified and shined the light on the things that we need the light to shine on. Yeah. And part of that was our discipleship mechanism. And we just weren't discipling people. We, we were great at reaching people. We were great at them coming in the doors. We had a lot of people in groups. And then halfway through the semester, it would, it would kind of fall off. Now with house churches, that, that, that number grows. Yeah. I mean, you've got people coming in and they have a sense of community. It's changed everything. Yeah. You know, um, I, I think, Jeff, that you are, you are going to be a source of hope for a lot of people. And, and frankly, at the end of this, we'll, we'll tell people how you can reach out to Venture Church. I think they are, one of, they are one of my, if not my favorite story of transition, at least the people that I've consulted with and walked through on how to transition a mega church into a mega micro hybrid. We are that. Um, and we'll press into that for a second here. Uh, a mega micro hybrid. We we coined the, the term, the phrase, a church of house churches many years ago to try to identify this. We are one church. Um, we have common elders that oversee all of our house churches. We do have a central team um, that helps support. Uh, in fact, I, I met with our house church leadership a few days ago, and I said, essentially, our central team supports you. Even student ministry, you got a family with a student in house church two or 12 or 22 or 32 or 42 or 52. Well, they need other students to connect with. So our student ministry really supports house churches. Our, you know, you got a young adult in house church 13 or 33 or 43. They need other young adults to connect with for life and things. 
but we're not limiting them to this is their source of community. So everything we do really supports that. Even our like our worship gathering on Sunday for me is a support now for house churches. I mean, we see we say this every week. We do a light ecclesiology presentation every week for about a minute and a half. And one of the things we say is hey, Jesus made disciples when he came. He made disciples by preaching to people on the mountainside by the thousands, living life together with people by the dozens, and then doing ministry in his city and his community, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, those things. And then one-on-one discipleship. These are things we practice. This has affected the way you do everything else, really. How has your centrality shifted from a staff about producing Sunday to now a team that's here to support this network of house churches? Well, well, think about this. We have in a year and a half, and and I, I know this is not normal. We were right. We were ready for the providential podcast, but we have forty nine house churches over a span of one hundred and twenty miles of interstate. Yeah, that represents five different campuses that have over eleven hundred adults that represent seven hundred children. And, and when, you're, when you're talking about multi-site, it's really helping us on the Gulf Coast because um, most, I guess most church planners would tell you, you know, you start with a house church. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's working into everything we needed done at the level, at our largest campus and at our, our church plant and our brand new campus in Laurel. Everything we're doing with regard to house churches is causing the church to grow. It's the opposite way of looking at church growth from right. let them come and see, let them get them in there. We'll hook them to, hey, let's get to know them and love them, and they'll come and bring people with them. It's a, it's yeah. a paradigm shift. Well said. And, and, and that's, that's essentially, so you know, really one of the reasons why I wanted you to be here. I, there are 365,000 existing churches in the U.S., uh, 180,000 of them half of them or so have less than 80 people in them on Sunday. 80% of churches have 200 people or less. Um, And so, you know, the top 1% of church sizes are what would be called mega churches. And there are opportunities at whatever size you are to transition. I know house churches that need to begin adopting this kind of thinking. Because some house churches are just existing. I am just one house church. But to reach your city, there has to be multiplication. And for multiplication to happen, there's got to be some connectivity, some oversight. You know, part of the teaching that I do when I sit down with people about this is what God really showed me in Titus chapter one. Paul told Titus, the reason I left you in Crete, straighten out what was unfinished, like the widows aren't being fed these kind of things. We're not developing pastors well. Straighten out what was unfinished. Appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Paul didn't want Titus to be traveling, you know, as a circuit riding pastor to all these places to try to pastor all the people. He wanted people to have a pastor where they are. And what you've done now is you've given people a pastor, whereas before they had to go to Titus or Titus had to go to them. And so you've distributed pastoral leadership to them. Can you tell me, tell us one or two great stories about somebody who transitioned in their thinking from I'm a small group leader to now I'm a pastor. What did that look like for that person? How have they fleshed that out? Well, some of the people that are house church pastors never led a group. So we didn't have to, you know, break any of that down, deconstruct that. And one of the guys, my house church pastor, I'm in a house church and uh, uh, across the street there, of course, the neighborhood is where, and this is the other thing about neighborhood churches. If it's a small neighborhood church, they ought to be all over this. I mean, this is, this is the chance of a lifetime to revitalize a neighborhood church. Anyway, so we have neighborhood churches, Mm -hmm. small churches, house churches, and, um, a guy in a house church, this is kind of graphic, but he died suddenly of a heart attack in his driveway. And his house church pastor, their driveways meet. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. And he called me and he said, hey, uh, our friend has passed away. And like, you didn't tell me what to do, like in this situation. 
And I'm like, bro, like, you know, that's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on my way. But to watch him begin to care for that family. And now that person who's our friend, his wife to come uh, to house church across the yeah. street. I mean, you know, we have a, we have a young guy that's walking to church and to work and his house church is right now. I don't know if you he, hope he's not watching this is getting him a car. Hmm. I mean, my neighbor next door, uh, a young kid that started to come over to my house. I baptized him just a few weeks ago in Very a pool. Cool. With his house church pastor, he goes to a different house church and, and it just, it continues. Uh, we have a baptism coming up, uh, maybe it was last night, but uh, cause we did it on Wednesday nights and the house church pastor, there's a lady that led a lady to the Lord. He's like, Hey, we're going to baptize her. And mm-hmm. we're like, Hey, good. Yeah. And like it, 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 it just, it's, it's an exponential growth of leaders in the neighborhoods and and we're fortunate and we're thankful that it's working so quickly but this could be a lot most of the changes i've led didn't happen this quick Mm -hmm. i mean because we had had changes in our past we had a platform to have some blue chips to make this change but anybody over time can do this yeah i would agree um i think there's a consequence actually to not doing it we think a lot about What's this going to cost me or our church? And I think there are pastors who are sitting here who are there. They may even be convicted. I had a pastor to do this. I had a pastor of a very large church in Dallas tell me this a couple of years ago. Everybody would know his name. He told me we, we met at a conference and we had conversations like this. And he said, I completely believe in what you're doing. I believe it's biblical. I, I want to do it. He said, I won't do it and I can't do it because I think it would destroy our church and we're on a hamster wheel. And if I stop, everything's going to fall off. That's what he told me. And now he's no longer a pastor. I mean, he's just done, burned out. I mean, he left a mega church, a very well-known guy globally. It's done. I, I think there's a consequence to not doing this. Um, People really think about the cost. What's it going to cost our church? It's going to cost you to not do this as well. Jeff, would you say what you think the cost would have been to you personally had you not pursued this biblical expression of church? And then what would have been the cost to your church had you not pursued this? Well, I'm going to be careful because, you know, I was grappling with this and I, I mean, I felt convicted by the fact that we were not being effective in discipling people and that I had told our people, the church has left the building. It's not about the building. And so I think for me to not make this change would have been disobedience. I had one of our young staff members say, Hey man, why are you doing this? Uh, I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, you don't have to do this. You have anything to prove you're, I mean, man, you like what we're so far ahead. Like you could just do what you're doing and, coast. Yeah. And you know, the problem with that is, I mean, this is not in future church. He says a rotary with a choir. I mean, this is the body of Christ. I mean, I'm going to stand before Christ Yeah, and I'm going to give an account. And if I can do something, which I can, I'm going to do it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. to not do it would have put us on a trajectory to begin to do this. Cause that's, what's about to happen to every church that's trying to do what they were doing before COVID. It's wow. just a matter of time. And that's that's, right. I'm not a genius to figure that out. That's just the way it is. You know, We've heard that every podcast so far. Well, Kerry right Newhoff, I mean, he already every says it. So. I mean, like, I mean, you know, so, so the reality is you can either do this and have a chance of losing your job or not do this and lose your job. Yeah. <laughs> I want, I want to press into that for a minute, but first I want to ask you, what, what would be the personal consequence for you and maybe other pastors other than disobedience? What, what would you have missed out on personally had you not made this transition? I think the next big move of God, mm. I, I think so where, where we're going from 
denominationalism to a more seeker sensitive. We're moving into a season for 20 years of discipleship making that is going to be decentralized. And I want to be a part of that. Yeah. And, and I'll be honest with you, like, I don't want to just go to a building anymore. I want to see people in my neighborhood, you know, leading their friends to the Lord and inviting their friends to their house church and caring about their people that I could never get to. Yeah, you're right. I mean, and so I want to be a part of the movement. And, and, you know, I'm getting closer to being with the Lord. I got gray hair than you guys, unless you color your hair. And the reality is I want to, you know, like I want to be a part of what's about to happen and set it up and use all of my blue chips to put our amazing young team in a position to run in the next 20 years. Jeff, I love that. So good. Jeff, I think um, there's a shift for some people that are watching this, and I hope more people are watching um, that are really entrenched in, you know, foundational existing churches. And I think some of the mindset has been, let's let the young guys or the new church planners run after that. But I do think there is opportunity in the existing foundational church to make these transitions. And the thing is, we already have so many resources. You have you have spaces to do incredible things for your city and to do Sunday gatherings. You already have people. You already have credibility with people. I mean, when we started this, we had, I mean, people are like, what's the name church project? And we had a group of house church pastors at our house the other night. We, at the end of all their training, they all sit at our house with us uh, before they launch. And one of them, they all tell their story of how they came to us. And they said, I heard this name church project. And I thought that's stupid. And, you know, uh, it, it does sound a little weird. And we had to get people to, to believe in church project, house church, so firemen being their house church pastor, things like this. Um, but if you're an existing pastor, people already trust you and you already know people and you already have some structure rather than a church planner that's just hoping they're going to survive a year from now. And so what is the opportunity that you see existing pastors have to, to make this happen that maybe a, a young church planner doesn't have? Well, if, you know, a lot of things flood my mind. One is people don't like change. And when you're in a church, no matter how old it is, uh, how many people are in it, there's usually five, five people. I call them the fab five, uh, fab five that run the church. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's just hard to get around those five people. And, and I found that revitalization of our church was what God called me to do. I had people like, hey, won't you just leave and start a church? Because that's not what God called me to do. This is God's church. These are God's people. Yeah. And, okay. and that yeah. began the transition that was very painful. Like I, I've been burdened about this podcast and making sure people know that if you, if you make these changes, it's going to be painful. I mean, there's no way to get around. I mean, you can be painful if you start a church as a house church, and but it can be painful if you try to revitalize a church that says, heck, no, we won't go. But we were able to do that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, from an 1884 model when the mm-hmm. church was started to having five campuses, to changing the name, to killing the choir, to killing the Sunday school, to selling the uh, the uh, handbells. I mean, it can be done. And we've got secret <laughs> ways to help you. No, we've got connections, people underground that can help you figure out how to get around being killed. <laughs> well, it's a scary thing to consider. Well, pastoring, it, I heard, I had somebody say to me not long ago, um, I was in Nashville with a group of people with Exponential, and one of them said, it is a difficult thing that we do. I mean, just in its essence, it's a privilege, it's a calling, but it is a, a, it's a fight, it's farming, it's a race. I mean, that's what Paul was telling Timothy, right? I mean, run the race, you know, plow the ground and fight the fight. And so it's a fight, it's farming, and it's a race. And so I would say it is a difficult thing that we do. What I don't want to do 
It's do what I do without the anointing of God, the Amen. pleasure of God, the That's calling right. of God. And I sure don't want to do it without f- fulfilling his purposes. And so at some point there becomes, this is your church, Jesus. It's not mine. So how did you want your church to be built? And if I can't explain with my Bible what the church is, then I probably shouldn't be doing it this way. So you guys are theologically rich. You're biblically convicted. You are structurally sound. You're well-developed in your leadership. Um, If you had to tell a guy today, hey, these are the first four or five things that you need to do to make this transition, um, I'm going to start the first one off with for you. And I would say, get really unsettled where you are. You can't stay where you are anymore. That was for me, who left a great mega church by all standards and planted this on my own without any money or support anywhere. I had to have, I can't do this anymore, what I was doing. You had that too, from a very different perspective. The second one is have some real clear convictions. Our first conversation together was these clear biblical convictions. What would be steps three, four, and five beyond that? I would talk to my wife and say, honey, Probably this is what I'm about to do. I need you to know what I'm about to do. And what, when what if people, that doesn't go well? <laughs> well, that's a whole nother podcast. Okay. Uh, but, but I, and it didn't go well for me over a period of time. You know, when, when people begin to leave your church, it yeah. hurts your family because they work through your wife and your kids. And so the reason I say that is, but you, you're going to have, whenever you change, even if you don't, we have people leaving before we change things. Of course. So, so if, if you're, if you're going to bleed to death, every time somebody leaves, don't do this. Or don't be a pastor, right? Because no, you, just you do something else. Way. Right. Because this is not, and you know, here's the other thing. If you're not a level three leader, you probably need to hire a level three leader to do this because you're not going to have the capacity to make these changes. The reason I can do this is I have leaders that are better than me leading in our church. I mean, we have guys that are geniuses. I, I don't put their pictures up on this on our staff webpage because I don't even anybody know about them because they're amazing. You have a very but, smart staff. But I would yeah. have I'd have a conversation with my wife. Okay. And and then I'd have a conversation with my my inner circle. And, and I would take time doing this. Now, yeah. I was able to do this more quickly because of I've been here 36 years. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I, I had some blue chips and, and I had time and I and most of my critics have died. So uh, not all of them. They're still not by up. your hands. Just no. Well, I'm not going to say that. Uh, like, is this? As far as we know. No, yeah, like, I don't know. Uh, anyway, so but but then I began to look and see, hey, do I have men that I think could really, really grab a hold of this? And and then I would start it. I mean, you know, you think about it. You came in June. You said, man, you need to take nine months. We launched in August. We were stupid, mm. but we did it and it worked. Yeah. And now. <laughs> Now we're, we're over 50 house churches in one year. I think, I, you know, I generally say six months um, that it, it takes to launch. I don't remember if I told you nine or six, but to do it in three or four. You, it was something like you're, you're, you're not smart. Well, it was something like this is it's going to be risky, but you didn't want to miss the beginning of the school year. Right. And I think that was a great time for you. And really, let me tell you something else that I think was your impetus. I mean, you guys. You were you knew that your people were scattered. I mean, what you had, you knew wasn't working. Y'all had restarted groups every semester. And so there wasn't there wasn't a continuation of community in a small group structure for you guys. And COVID had paused that. So a big part of your sense of urgency was we have nothing right now because our normal rhythm of starting and restarting and restarting COVID killed that. So you had another reason why you had to do it so quickly. And that was, man, we, we don't have anything happening right now. And so, but we had a previous rhythm that we were going to interrupt with people. And so, you know, the people who are listening, you either have 
something that you were doing before that you can't do anymore. Uh, that's what Jeff and them were doing. Or you have something that's been going um, and you're going to have to consider changing it. So you got to get unsettled. I can't do it anymore. You got to get biblically clear and convicted. Your ecclesiology needs to be able to be expressed. And what? how do we gather and who leads that? And what is the purpose of our gathering together? And then you need to talk to your wife and then you need to get a group of leaders who are going to be pastors and talk with them. And then you need to do it. Uh, but before you do it, Jeff, you need to you need to get your stuff together. Right. And so how well, did you guys get so clear? I mean, I was well, walking with you through that and it was a lot of fun. Well, it was good that when you when you came in and made the presentation, I, the thing I love, I'm not like this. So I love it when it happens this way where it's real straight through and it's real. I mean, like it's like in a lane. And that lane helped me answer questions up front. So it saved us some time uh, with regard to implementing it. But the terror I felt in, in not doing it mm. was a lot greater than my terror in doing it. So, I mean, like, I, I mean, I was like, I mean, like with me, when there is no other right option, it makes it simple. And when you gave us such a, you know, you, you came in like on Monday, you flew in on Monday, met with our whole team. We went from Tuesday to Monday, went to, took the whole day. And, and all of a sudden we're all at a different place. And we brought everybody in. We, we uncovered all the rocks and, and it was, it made all the difference in the world because there was nothing holding back. Like we cannot go back to where we were. I and think you, what you're and, saying, go ahead. unless yeah. you have a better idea, we're going with this one. And thank God it worked. The right next thing. Yeah. You know, I think uh, part of the thing at, at uh, the exponential conference, I said, you know, we're all it was called reset and we're resetting, meaning we're rethinking and our rethinking. We need to be returning because people have rethought strategies for so many years. But I think what we haven't necessarily done is returned all the way to the original structure of the church. I heard, I've heard people say, we don't want to be the early church. You know, look at how messed up they were. It wasn't that. It was, what was the structure? What was the container by which the gospel was spread around the world and the disciples were made? And this is what we're talking about. Again, let's clarify. It's decentralized. Some people say, what does that mean? Um, we're, we're not heavy in the building with our programs. We're not heavy in the clergy with our leadership. Uh, almost our clergy are now behind the scenes. I mean, our, we don't even have our picture of our staff on our website. I mean, our team is so behind the scenes because it's not about getting to the staff. It's about getting you into a house church to be pastored. And that's where you're going to find your primary means of discipleship and community. It's not about the staff and it's not about the building. We use a building, we say, to gather on Sundays, but our building is used for ministries in the city all the time. And so the building isn't anymore the church. The, the church gathers in the building on a, on a Sunday, and it could be any building. It's not a sacred building. We say sacred things happen in a space, but the space isn't sacred anymore, mm -hmm. and you're helping move you know, toward that. Jeff, so here's what we're saying to any pastor who's watching. Hey, if you stay where you are, it's not going to be good for you. Uh, you're heading downhill. It wasn't working before as well as it used to, and it's not going to keep working. Uh, and if you change, it's not going to be good for you. It's going to be really hard. And you're saying, well, you need to start with conviction. I'll tell everyone who's listening this about Venture Church, uh, something very unique about them in addition to their pre-existing structure and longstanding leadership and effectiveness at developing leaders. Uh, one of the things about them that I think has helped make their transition so successful is commitment and conviction from the top all the way through. I've started with some mega churches even where the lead pastor's in the room on day one and everybody's on board. And then after that, lead pastor's out because they have more important things to do. Not with Jeff. I mean, he was in every one of our gatherings together. Every time I was in Mississippi visiting these guys, Jeff's there because he knows this is the now the foundation of our body. 
this isn't something, I mean, there are going to be other people who help strategize and execute and create systems that are needed, but it's got to come from the lead pastor, the elders. It's got to come from this now is who we are. And so, Jeff, can you briefly speak to the importance of your full commitment, full engagement, you know, burn the ships kind of thing to this. It's got to start with you, right? It can't be some guy who says, this is some other strategy that we hope works better. Yeah, no, no. And and the, the, the challenge is, and I, I've had a heart for people listening to this, that people have come back to their Sunday school class. And it's a, it's a false sense of security because those churches have returned more quickly than churches that uh, are more like ours with younger people and, and, you know, people that aren't baby boomers. Yeah. And, and the reality is this is a total paradigm change. That is a new Testament model. Yeah. And this is like, this is our church. I mean, this is, this makes up the engine of our church. I mean, I'd be a crazy man not to want to make sure that the engine was placed in and had the right people doing that because at the end of the day, the pat I'm going to have the brunt if it goes poorly. Mm-hmm. Now, if it goes well, our team was amazing. That's good. Leader. And so, so there's, there, there's no way I couldn't be involved in it. And I had to take the bullets for all of our team wanted to do this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had to be willing to say, Hey, I'm going to take the blame for it. And, and we're going all out and I'm not a spring chicken. I couldn't just like, you know, go get in. I mean, if you're younger, you've got little to lose. Everybody's looking for a pastor. But when you get older and you have, I don't color my hair, you know, it makes it a little more difficult. So, I mean, I'm, I'm launching out because we had to do this. And if you're not at that point, I wouldn't, I wouldn't spend a lot of time with it because this is an, this is a all or nothing. Yeah. Any regrets? I'm sorry, no. Dave, please go ahead. Uh, can I, I just want to point out something to our, you know, you, you both have been incredibly successful in doing this. And I think, you know, people always want to get right to the, well, what's the strategy and how do you implement it? And I've seen you, Jason, say, no, you have to want it, right? You have to want it before you, before the strategy makes sense. But I think the, the characteristic for both you and Jeff is that you were both humble enough to receive, to see the situation and to receive the truth and teachable. And I think for everybody that's listening, like that's the thing that comes through this podcast today is both y'all's humility and your teachability to say, okay, what we did had it had it season, teach us. Someone someone lead us through this and let's let's do it right. All right. So I think that's a I think to me that's the lesson that I hear coming through from the conversation is humility and teachability. Thanks for saying that, Dave. Thank I've you. definitely seen that in Jeff here. Yeah. Jeff, why do you think most pastors do what they do? the way they do it? Well, in all fairness to pastors, they've been trained to do certain things and the mechanism by which they are uh, reviewed, the numbers uh, that they're reviewed by, whether or not they're doing well, aren't what we're talking about. I mean, it's not just the big number on the weekend. It's not just about how many people are in your different programs. Yeah. You know, you're you're talking about a totally different model that we don't really have a good uh, way to gauge the success of it because we've only we've only really measured worship attendance and uh, and money. And so, you know, we were fortunate to go through simple, uh, simplifying everything we were doing, getting it down to the to the brass, you know, uh, tax and. And so that helped us a little bit in, in pushing all that away. But it's easy to hide under the layers of programming. It's easy to hide under the layers mm. of, of a, you know, a high-velocity worship service. And, and you got to get away from that. you got to say, hey, we're going to look at success being we're going to have this many men lead our house churches. We're going to have this many people who are meeting in house churches, and then we're going to encourage them to come together on the weekend services, and we want other people to come. We're going to still invite them to come. We still have the lower room, okay? But we're just trying to get people in the upper room. 
And so, you know, it's, it, it's hard when you don't have a mechanism as a pastor to know whether or not you're successful, because the people that are watching you, your elders or your deacons or whoever, they're saying, well, this is, this is success. Yeah. And you're having to say, we got to change that. This is going to be success, and it's going to, it's going to look smaller. It's going to feel different. And you're going to have to actually work. I mean, think about how odd our think about how odd our calling is. We're 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 encouraged and paid to administrate ministry and get tell people things they don't want to hear and get them to do things they don't want to do. At the same time, we they help us pay our mortgage. Yeah, it's an odd odd calling. Yeah, it is. So you know, until you can change your mindset and what what helped with me, we had five thousand people in the Coliseum before COVID. And it was a rock concert. It was, I mean, everybody got saved. I mean, you know, it's unbelievable. And then after COVID, we couldn't get 20 people together. Mm. And it dawned on me, man, that's, that's smoke and mirrors now. Yeah. That is not like, like I could care less about those numbers. That means yeah. nothing. They're gone. Mm. It's an event. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I'm getting pretty fired up about it because, we have a window. Pastors have a window uh, before they're behind the change. And then you're in real trouble to get in front of it yeah. and, and to move out of the building and to decentralize things before the buildings are locked down. It could happen again. I had a guy disciple me in college. Um, he was an attorney. He just he recently died. Uh, and he, he said some things to me that I felt like were pretty prophetic. And he said, Jason, um, the church will not exist as you know it while you are still living on this planet. And you need to consider how to lead it forward in a different way. I had no idea what he was talking about, what that meant for me. I mean, I had only known what I had known, um, but I, I've seen that come to fruition. And I think some people would say, oh, this is doomsday, or I'm just going to lead like I'm leading until I can't lead this way anymore. But I think you've helped people here today, Jeff, uh, what they'll miss out on and what their people will miss out on. Jeff, you have 60 seconds to say whatever you want. You know, this is hard. It's never been more difficult to be in ministry. But if you're going to roll the dice on doing something you feel like God has put on your heart, this is the time. There'll never be a better time than to go for broke than right now. Wow. That's a good word. Jeff, um, I'm hoping that maybe you and I will write a book together about transitioning a, a church. Um, I would tell you to tell people to go to any books you've written and they'll be good. But I, um, but I think they should find uh, your next book because I think it's going to be really unusual. A fairly traditional model church transition to a contemporary model, contemporary model church transitions to a church of house churches. I've seen you do it. You've led incredibly well. I personally really enjoy and love your team, uh, which I can see them more than I do. I'm grateful for you, Jeff. And uh, I hope you'll Google Jeff Clark, get to know him and any books he's written, resources he's written. Venture Church is the name of his church in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and they have campuses all over Mississippi and growing. Jeff, thank you for being with us today. I'm honored to be with you. I'm glad to call you a friend and I miss you. You've changed the tra tra trajectory of our church, Jason, and we thank you. I'm humbled to be a small part of it, and uh, I've enjoyed it. For those of you listening, I want to let you know that uh, Exponential has been a great resource for me and encouragement for me as I personally have been rethinking church for years. We planted it in 2010 and felt a lot alone. And um, I now feel like I have some community of people who are rethinking church leading in the church spectrum. And I've been able to find some like-minded people to have conversations with that I couldn't find in any other environment before. So Exponential is great at connecting people across the church spectrum and helping people have conversations in places where they couldn't have them before and talk about things we haven't been talking about before. I encourage you to press into these hub shows to Exponential's website. Also, coming up really quickly, like this week, or this coming week in the Bay Area and Southern California are some exponential regionals uh, in Houston coming up in just a few weeks. Our team is going to it. 
Uh, some great friends that I know are going to be speaking at it locally. It's coming up October 26th and 27th. And then in Chicago, November 2nd and 3rd, I'll be up there for that as well. Uh, I just love what's happening with Exponential. I encourage you to press into it. Go to the conferences in person if you can. Jump online with them if you can't. Take your team with you. Take a few people to help you think about it. That's how we do it with them. And we're grateful for their leadership in that. Dave Edwards, as always, thanks for hanging out. Hey, me. thank you very much. Glad to lead yeah. this alongside yeah. of you. And Jeff, like you said, you got some geniuses around you that are smarter than you. Thankfully, I do too. It's pretty obvious I'm not one, but for whatever reason, God's allowed some smart, godly people to be around me. And Dave is one of those people. I'm grateful. Jeff, please tell your That's team we said hello. Dave, we'll see thank you, you guys. Uh, see Adventure Church team. Blessings, Jeff. Guys. Exponential, thank you all for all you do. Thank you, Jason, for hosting this. We'll see you soon.